0: Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my chocolate factory. And I should warn you that one of us always tells the truth, and one of us always lies.
1: No running in the hallway. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that.
0: Hello and welcome to Fans Labyrinth, the podcast where two longtime friends discuss your favorite forgotten gems and uh, indie darlings. This is my co-host, Joseph. Joseph is our resident expert on all things sci-fi, fantasy, and philosophical.
1: And this is Lydia, our resident thriller, mystery, and crime fan. Hello, how are you?
0: Yes. Hello. Hey, hi, how are you?
1: That is that is your customer service voice coming out.
0: Oh, no, you haven't heard my <laughs> customer service. Well, no, you have. You've shopped with me before when I worked it's, retail. It's a little scary. Like, well, it is. Yeah, it's like a good octave and a half above. I'll be like, hey there, how can I help you? Were you looking for anything in particular today? It's Honestly, it's borderline condescending sounding because that's how much I hated serving people. <laughs> even though I did it for six years.
1: <laughs> so today's our Hack the Nation, Hack the Planet episode.
0: Hack the Planet. Yeah. Hack the Planet.
1: What have you been watching? Anything related?
0: Would you hate me if the answer was mostly no? <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> I've been watching stuff. Um, I just like, okay, so I went through a huge hacking phase. I didn't learn how to do it because computers... I am illiterate, too, and science is hard, but I went through a huge phase in media where I was, like, really into hacking. Um, So I've seen tons of hacking shit. It's just I didn't watch a lot of hacking shit this week specifically. So I'm going to talk about other stuff I watched. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, Okay, so I'm, let me think. Of what I should talk about. So, I, so I've so i been doing 31 Days of Horror, oh. which is where you watch a different horror movie every night or day, because obviously we watched a movie tonight, so I didn't watch a horror movie. Um, I watched one earlier in the day. But uh, a couple days ago, I watched a new one. Couldn't miss that, that day. What? No, obviously <laughs> not. It's like a fucking advent calendar. Like, I don't want to double up the next day. It's too many calories. Um, <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> you fucking leave that in, because that was funny. That was funny. Um, okay, so I watched a new film that just dropped on Netflix called Vampires in the Bronx. Okay. Which, maybe not the best title in the world, but I adored this movie. It was so many things that I love. But it, it is a vampire movie. Um, and essentially, there's these four kids in this Bronx neighborhood. Um, and the neighborhood is in the process of being gentrified. So people are being, like, businesses are being bought out, people are leaving yeah. the neighborhood um, or disappearing, and, you know, rent increases, people are being, like, priced out of their neighborhood, essentially. And these kids have a suspicion that the real estate company responsible for the gentrification is actually a nest of vampires that are hunting in the Bronx oh, wild. and then, okay. decide, like, t- trying to take over. So, I mean, this pairs so many things for me. The vibe is very um, Fright Night meets The Lost Boys, which I'm so here for. I love that 80s throwback. But the story, it works so well for me because vampirism is often used in, like, classism situations and vampires are often sort of portrayed as the aristocracy, Mm -hmm. especially in old fiction. Having them be responsible for essentially, like, the new normal horror in... Lower socioeconomic yep. neighborhoods of gentrification, I think, is a really interesting conversation around economics, social class, uh, the current state in North America. Uh, yeah. Like, it's just, and it's fun. Like, it's just genuinely fun in the way that the Goonies and Fright Night is. Like, these children are so lovable. You get the vampire hunter kind of vibe. It's just, it was so great. And there was a lot of interesting parallels between socioeconomics and racial disparity in neighborhoods through this movie as well. So it actually had a really interesting conversation because, of course, the vampires were... Portrayed as, you know, sort of wealthy, elite white people. Mm-hmm. And the Bronx is a very ethnically diverse neighborhood and it typically is in a lower socioeconomic status. So you had like a really interesting conversation between race, economics, social status, class. But then you still got all of the fun and the entertainment of those movies like Fright Night and The Lost Boys.
1: Yeah. It's so f- you're reminding me of, uh, I had a friend who loved Dracula as their favorite book. And I said, that's just the middle class rising up against like the aristocracy dot book.
0: <laughs> I mean,
1: um, yeah. Yeah. Read Dracula. If you haven't, it's, it's really different than I think most people would expect. I mean, it is a vampire story thing, but it yeah. is mostly about like a doctor, a lawyer and whatnot, getting together to fight their aristocracy, which is um mm-hmm. fun. Um. So on that note, I, uh, a similar one for me is I watched, I finished watching, uh, The Haunting of Phillows, which was partly...
0: Oh, yeah, I forgot you were doing that Yeah, I was watched. watching
1: that with, uh, my family, and, uh, it was so good. It's just such an excellent one-season show. I actually love that they knew it was ending, because you just, you get to have that full story. Because characters were allowed to, like, well, die and I whatnot mean. at appropriate times, because mm-hmm. you knew there wasn't going to be a second season, so I'm into that.
0: Yeah. I mean, te- technically there is a yeah, second but it's season. A different, it's just, it's an anthology yeah, It's series. like um,
1: American Horror Story.
0: Yeah. It's a new house. So it's Bly Manor now. They're doing Turn of yeah. the Screw. I'm very stoked. It comes out on Friday.
1: Yeah. So I, I think that's cool too, that, you know, Shirley Jackson's Haunting of Hill House. And then we're going to get, I love that they're going to bring in other ghost stories from other authors for each um, season, I like that they're bringing the same cast back, too. I think that's really cool. I didn't know that, actually, until recently.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, a lot of them are Mike Flanagan favorites. So you see a lot of them in, like, a lot of his other movies. Like, his, his wife was in Hill House. She was also in Ouija Origin of Evil and Hush. Carla Gugino is in a bunch of his movies. Yeah, like... Uh, oh, God, what's the guy's name? I can't think of it now. The guy who plays their dad in Hill House is also in Ouija or of Evil. Okay. Um, so he has, like, kind of... Like, he'll add in new people and stuff, but, like, he has sort of, like, actors that he likes to reuse, sort of like a Joss Whedon or an Alfred Hitchcock kind of thing. So you see a lot of repetition in, in his favorites.
1: So I will warn the listener before i think but i wanted to, to discuss with you so you've seen the whole season right yeah mm-hmm. so i want to go over a, a couple theories or what you think actually like the show was trying to do or went down so if you don't want it because we're probably gonna have to end up talking about some later parts but because so my family like after we finished it we had so much stuff and actually we finished the ninth episode i think it's 10 episodes so we finished the ninth episode and and we had a break and so we had so many theories going for like what but would be in the red room and what it was. So um, I don't know if you wanted to discuss what you think went on, or if you want me to go first.
0: I mean, it's been like a year since I saw. Mm. It. Like I saw the series when it first yeah, so came you- out, so I'm not sure if I can. So I can go first and then
1: see if this tracks with your okay. Um, what you remember? So one of the things I noticed is that the red room ends up having like a, a what looks like mold all over it. And so I wondered if what they're trying to do... So I definitely think the ghosts are real in the show. But there is also ghosts in it or, like, people projecting other people in it that are not ghosts, that are not real. Like, the dad explains that when he sees the, the mom, that's a coping mechanism. And that isn't actually the ghost mom that you actually see in other points, right? So I think what they're trying to do is sort of intermix so that you can never quite land whether the ghosts are real and whether the or whether it's like just mold that got them all crazy or whatever or and i think this is like part of the most compelling story whether they're all just really trying to deal with the fact that their mom was mentally ill and their dad treated it horribly and then they are just traumatized by that for the rest of their life and then that leads them all back to the house but the house was never actually or it didn't so much matter that the house had all this Supernatural stuff going on. It's more the fact that they didn't know how to handle this as a family.
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, I think it's more about like, and just as a jumping off of what you said, I think for me, it's about the shared experience of generational, like familial trauma, because you are seeing it through multiple like lenses So for me, like, the ghost stuff is interesting, and it's cool. But in my mind, the ghost stuff is just a representation of the like, emotional scarring of that trauma that they're experiencing in their lives. So you have the trauma of the mom dying, and that leads them like some of them down to the trauma of addiction and like drug abuse others to vent their trauma through writing which creates a rift and damages the relationship others are like experience additional trauma of loved ones dying in similar fashions to the way that like the mother died and, and experiencing night terrors so to me it yeah. like even most of the ghosts that you see feel like representations of the adult children that are being seen by the Young. Yes, children. that is
1: something. It took us a while in discussions to get to that point, but I think you're mm-hmm. absolutely right.
0: So so to me, it it just feels like this is a trauma that's so severe, it's splitting through time almost. So it's it's a multiple experience for these characters. And they're like a child seeing the boogeyman or like the bent neck lady is not that weird. Kids have those kinds of nightmares. But and and this is a spoiler, when you learn that the bent neck lady is Nell, the same character who's as a little girl, sees her, in my mind that is almost a projection of the memory. It's like she you're seeing in real time this little girl is experiencing this thing and then the grown version dies in a fashion that would make her look similar to the boogeyman that she was afraid of as a child. And it's just like that our fears and our traumas are lived in and we grow with them if we don't deal with them. And they eventually lead to traumatic outcomes in our adult life when they finally break through, when we can't bottle it down anymore. That's what all of the representation was to me. So it's, it's not ghosts. It's not haunted. You're just seeing ghostly representations of emotional scars.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, There is stuff in the, in the show that makes it almost impossible that the ghosts don't exist to some degree. But I, again I think it's, you know, we've talked about this with them, Buffy the Vampire Slayer too, that even though obviously all the stuff that's happening is real in Buffy, they're obviously also metaphors. And I, mm-hmm. for me, Hill House is kind of more of a mix between those. It doesn't fully but, make you believe it's ghosts or not ghosts.
0: Again, Hill House is also a house with trauma. And there is something to be said for like emotional impact or extreme emotions leaving a a sort of mark or a shadow on a specific place. You know, Mm, there'll be people who go into a home where like a horrible murder has happened or go into a, a, a space where a very traumatic event has occurred and they say they feel like a sense of discomfort. And that is what I think Hill House is. Hill House is just this building where a significant amount of generational trauma has existed and it's left an emotional impact on the space that is just felt so while i don't necessarily think the ghosts are supposed to be real i think the feeling of unease unhappiness pain is supposed to be real
1: yep such a cool show by the time Mm -hmm. this is coming out blind manor will be out um so this is definitely a cool time to go catch up on season one if you want to or you can just skip obviously to blind manor because it's a separate anthology but Hill House was excellent. So I'm really looking forward to checking out Bly Manor as well. Um, anything else for you?
0: Yeah. Um, so I finished Ratchet. Did you... Have you oh, finished that? I
1: started it, but I, I didn't continue with it.
0: Should I leave it? And we can discuss nope. it if you do continue if, it.
1: I don't plan on continuing it right now. So it's up to you. Okay.
0: Okay. Um, so I won't spoil it if you do on continuing it later. Uh, I'll just talk about it a little bit. It's good. I mean it's it's good in the same way all Ryan Murphy stuff is, you know, I mean, I, I find it interesting to continue this particular character story with a prequel. So so Ratchet is about Nurse Ratchet, who's a character from the novel and the film adaptation, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yep. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, I think, came out in like seventy six or seventy seven, something like that. Stars Jack Nicholson. Interesting enough, sort of secondary tertiary character and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So it's kind of interesting to, to take that character and, ex- and expand on it with a prequel and a, sort of an origin story, if you will. But like I said, it's good in the way Ryan Murphy is good. I, I feel like he starts out really strong with his shows and then they just kind of meander in these weird directions because he has so many ideas so there's just too much shit in there. You know what I mean? Like, he can't follow through yeah. on every storyline he puts Th- in. I think that's what it is. he creates these shows that are, like, 10 episodes long. It's like, you, you have enough storylines to fit two seasons in one 10-episode season. It's just, it's it's too much.
1: He doesn't think about the character arcs and a fulfilling ending as much as mm-hmm. he should. He really gets atmosphere, cinematography, and a style For sure. out there very quickly but it, that's all it is, right? It's its insubstantial as you move on. And even though I love, for example, the first season of Scream, Scream Queens, it's its more of an atmosphere that I love, for sure. right? If, if you ask me what the plot is, I'm like, I couldn't tell you.
0: I just, I feel like he starts off so strong and he brings in these interesting plot devices and you're like, okay, I want to see how this goes. I want to see where it goes. I want to see what happens. But then he's like, you get three episodes in and you're like, now there's like 17 different fucking plots. Like pick two, follow through on those concisely and fully, and your series will be excellent. But when you shove in as many fucking ping pong ball ideas as you can, and you don't fulfill any of them, it's just irritating. So that frustrated me. And, and honestly, like, I like Sarah Paulson, I think she's an excellent actor. But like, she needs to get the fuck out of Ryan Murphy shit. Because at this point, <laughs> she just seems like a pantomime of a human being. Like, every character she fucking does is the same character just doing something different. It's like, in this one, she's... You know, like, a psycho, but she's a nurse. In American Horror Story, pick a season. She's a psycho, but she's a reporter. She's a psycho, but she's a heroin addict ghost. Like, it's a, like mm-hmm. she's just doing the same... Fu- she's a psycho, but she's a witch. Like, I don't know. Man, I don't give a shit. It's the same fucking character every time, just, like, Sarah Paulson in a different dress. It's like, she she's a good actor. She can do stuff. But now she's just, like, a Ryan Murphy puppet, and it's fucking irritating.
1: Yeah, to uh, to continue on the... Uh, mediocre train i also uh picked up the old guard my family i'll watch it for a family movie night oh god and the
0: charlize theron movie yeah, it's yeah shit it's so fucking bad I... I couldn't believe it
1: it was very mediocre there's some parts that are fun uh the ideas i think in it are like fun but yeah it just it's so low budget feeling or something no
0: it feels cheap it does feel cheap i agree especially with charlize theron in it
1: You definitely can tell that they're either in, I think it was either Toronto or Vancouver that they ended up in. And like the final fight scene is just in a random office building of one of those. And and like when they're inside it, you can see them just like opening doors that like you'd pass by in your everyday workplace. And you're just like, I don't know, like this is the corporation that's like controlling them. I don't know. That
0: doesn't even like necessarily bother me because you'll see that shit in like like Mission Impossible and stuff where it's like a high budget action movie, but you're in like an office building for a fight scene. But it just like with so much of it looking like so low rent and then ending it in this like borderline unfurnished office. Like it's like barely it's furnished to the bare minimum and you can tell. And it's like, you're like, man, I feel like you, you didn't try. And I bet the budget on this thing was like super high Because it has Charlie Theron in it, but, like, I don't know what they squandered it on beyond her, but it was not good. And the writing was, like, weak, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, the writing's... And I just don't... This idea of, so it's four immortals, and, like, just how plot devicey each part was. Mm -hmm. So it's, like, there was two immortals that aren't part of their team that they'd ever met. And one of them died, and one of them is um, trapped forever. And so, like, of course, like, it's, like, so so now we know that they can die and now we know that they can be captured and things like it's like they never introduced a character to just be a character Mm -hmm. it was it was like so clearly to to have a plot point that's coming up later and when and i know that is proper writing technique but this one it felt so obvious that each thing was put put there to do its job
0: and it's like at the beginning when they explain the immortal things, like you have like a fucking five minute exposition thing going yeah. on where they just monologue a full explanation about like basically what the movie is going to be about. Like don't, fu- if you can't write your film in a way that explains this, like both cohesively and at least moderately organically, like you've, you've done a shitty job. I'm sorry. If you have to like write it your way out of this plot to be able to explain how any of it fucking works? You you fucked up. You fucked up.
1: Yeah, I don't know why they didn't because they, they did some flashbacks. I'm like, when they said, um, "We're from the Crusades," we're from, or you know, he's from the, where's Booker from the, is like 1812 or something, Civil War or something mm-hmm. like this. And it's like you should have just shown scenes from those those places. Like unless or, your budget is literally zero,
0: fucking show pictures. Like they do it at the end. They show pictures of them and mm. paintings of them from like centuries ago and shit like just fucking do that you know what i mean like just show just show pictures like they're doing research they're like oh you don't believe i'm from when i'm set when i say i'm from look at this fucking portrait of me dated like 1567 or something like it's so easy to fix that problem the internet exists in this movie like (laughs) fucking google it
1: that's that's all I want to say about that one. I didn't want to linger Emily on too sucked. much. Just a kind of, you know, if people were looking at it. Uh, yeah, I just wouldn't recommend it, unfortunately.
0: No. That's disappointing. Um, OK, my turn. It, mm-hmm. I so I kept seeing ads on Netflix. They just added three seasons of the show that like started in 2014 or whatever. I'm not into like movies or shows about boxing or MMA or any of that shit. Like I'm usually like not a fan of that stuff. But this show Kingdom has been advertised to me so goddamn much on Netflix that I finally was like, I need to turn I've never on heard of an episode so of it. Yeah. I was like, I just need to watch an episode. And if it is terrible, I'll just like it that I don't like it. And Netflix will stop showing it to me because this is getting aggravating. And now I'm addicted to it. Um so I've been like blowing through this three season series called Kingdom. It has um I think his name is Frank Grillo. He played sergeant in the sergeant in the Purge movies that we watched. Need a little interaction from you, Joe.
1: Sorry, my dinner. Uh <laughs> there's some dinner plan stuff getting messed up.
0: <laughs> so Kingdom, he played uh this character called uh so Frank Grillo is in Kingdom and he played this character called the Sergeant in the Purge series that we watched together, like the film series. Okay. Yep. Um you remember the the like paramilitary mm-hmm. guy that we said was hot but problematic. So he's one of the main characters in Kingdom. I do like him. I like he's so attractive. I like um it's got what's his name? Nick Jonas in it, which is not what oh. sold me on it, but kind of threw me oh, for I a mean- loop. I'm, I'm not a big that. Nick Jonas fan, but he's cute in it. He is very cute in it. Um, do you want a spoiler that might actually make you watch Kingdom? Sure. Uh, he is struggling with his sexuality and okay. is yeah, probably most likely gay. Very gay, actually, when you get later into the series. So this, is, uh, this
1: is a secret look into his real life.
0: <laughs> but yeah, so anyways, it's it's about um, professional MMA fighters. The yeah, this is Rilla's where I struggle. The character... Yeah, Frank Grillo's character, Albie, owns a MMA gym. He is an ex-fighter, and he is training MMA fighters, including his two sons, one played by Nick Jonas, the other is played by Jonathan Tucker. I love Jonathan Tucker. He was in a great series called The Black Donnellys that got canceled way too soon about the Irish Mafia, but he's been in tons of shit. He was also in the new Charlie's Angels movie as, like, the hitman character. Okay. And then it has another guy who I can't even remember the actor's name, but he plays a character named Ryan, who was a professional MMA fighter and kind of got sucked into the unhealthy partying lifestyle that a lot that happens with a lot of pro athletes. He ended up having some pretty bad rage issues, got in a fight with his dad and physically assaulted him and causing like life-altering injuries, oh. and he oh went my to prison. God. So he was in prison for, like, six years for the assault, Um, and he gets out of prison, and he meets up with his old coach from before he kind of got into the partying and the drugs, his first coach. And his first coach, basically, is Albie, gives him a second chance. So it's kind of like one of those Redemption, Rocky sort of stories. Very standard, like, fighting story. Uh, but it's, it's got some really interesting, like, character arcs. Uh, the Jay character, who's played by Jonathan Tucker, has the same kind of cha- chaotic energy of, like, a Matthew Lillard. He's very, very fun, <laughs> very over the top. Um, there's a lot of, like, family trauma. You go through this whole character arc with Ryan where he tries to rehabilitate his relationship with his father, who is now um, paralyzed from the neck down because of the assault. It has some interesting, in-depth kind of character arcs that I actually really enjoy. The fight scenes are cool. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not huge in MMA. I've never actually watched a single like UFC fight, so I had no idea really what it was. Like I understood it in theory. So it's it's it is genuinely interesting to see the type of athleticism that they're going for. Um, but mostly, it's just the characters are great and the dudes are like really very attractive. A lot of toxic <laughs> masculinity, God. but they also yeah, kind no of like. They discuss it though, like you have characters that are like, they they go through motions with their problems, where you can see that they're kind of reconciling with the unhealthy and like testosterone-filled lifestyle. So it's so it is interesting, but it's it's there's definitely a lot of toxic masculinity in it. But really attractive men, so it's kind of a balancing. Act <laughs>
1: <for me. laughs> You're dying over the struggle They're um, really
0: hot, dude. Like like stupid good looking.
1: Uh. So I really wanted to finish up with this one. So I sat down with my friend and we watched a 10-episode series together, which was Eon Flux from, like, the animated series from, like, the 90s. So did you remember the movie? Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the movie Eon Flux? Yeah. So it's based off this animated series. That's actually the original thing. It's this 10-episode cancelled series. It is wild. You know how, like, our favorites on space... Space channel, um, you're at like twelve midnight, wherever three m, and you're like, what are these like weird cartoons or weird? That's exactly what this is. And yeah, you think that there would is a story have been on
0: space? That would have been on YTV or to Teletoon yeah. at night or something like that. Yes, it, but that same, all same the
1: time. Yeah, same, same idea. But it's like you think there is a story that like is between all these episodes or whatever because you're just like seeing flashes that at you know at two a.m. There's no story. It's just <laughs> insanity. Um, And I loved it. It was, it's like an amazing experience. So it's about this woman, Aeon, or Eon. I always say Aeon because it has that weird character at the front. I think it's Eon. Eon. Yeah. So she is some kind of agent for uh, a government in this cyberpunk future. And you see her in her full fetish gear outfit, flipping around, um, sneaking around uh, in space or in like in this futuristic city. And the other main character is this guy named Trevor, who in the first episode is the sort of president of uh, this other country that she's infiltrating. Um, The rest of the episodes have like nothing to do with each other, except (laughs) that they're both in each episode. And Trevor has some crazy mad science scheme. Somehow he has enough time to run a country and have like 10 different mad scientist schemes going on. Each one of which would require a shit ton of time to figure out. But even so, the actual themes and feelings of each is crazy. So I want to focus in on one just to, like, get a vibe for how weird the show is. So in the second or third (laughs) episode, this woman is trying to cross the border where there's these guns. One of the guns hits her spine and she gets injured and captured. And they heal her spine but don't give her a new vertebrae. They give her, like, this machine that she can put into her spine to take the place of a vertebrae. Okay, but it's kind of hydraulic, so it only lasts for a little while. Then she has to get a new one, and in the meantime, she has to work it off to pay for this, um, surgery. So she's working it off, but spying for another eight for another person, um, at the same time. But in order to pay for this, she also is working with Trevor, and Trevor comes in. Get ready for a while. This is comes in, and he has like a fetish to like do weird little like prying around in her hole where her vertebrae is. <laughs> And so she's yeah, she's having like an but, ecstatic moment over this. He's having an ecstatic moment over no. this, and he like pays her for this service.
0: Why would she be into the spine hole poking? It's just
1: kind of this fetishy thing. And so their bodies are super super skinny too. And so in order to spy, she goes under this fence by twisting her body because she can crack it in the middle and like going no, under no, and like no, half. No, I don't, it's I don't like so any of this. Wild. It's I don't so like wild. Any of this.
0: It's so, I'm um, so uncomfortable.
1: In the meantime, Eon is having sexual relations with her paramour or whatever, the guy that she's like sort of dating and they're both trying to do this um, spy stuff with. So there's this crazy polyamorous multi-relationship where they have windows that see each other across the border and they're seeing each other like have this weird sexual relations and all sorts of fetish gear stuff. And so Eon is, like, a dominatrix to the guy, and she's being manipulated by Trevor. It's a whole thing. Uh, so that's a little taste of the craziness that you're in store for. And there's and crazy sci-fi ma- stories.
0: And then they made it into a very, very mediocre film with yes. Charlie Theron, I think.
1: I think so, too, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, if you're looking for, like, the weirdest... So what? actually, one thing that I mentioned to my friend when I was watching it was that... It's so rare in Western media to have an adult non-comedy animation. And so I think it's mm-hmm. really cool to have this experimental thing that our animators in the West don't get to do this very much. Like either you're True. a children's anime or you're or an adult comedy animator. So it's really mm-hmm. cool to be able to look into sci-fi concepts, look into whatever weird fetishes you're into and want to put on at television at 2 a.m. in the morning.
0: Unfortunately, it also means it gets canceled after 10 episodes.
1: Yes, but it was an experience.
0: Yeah, I bet. <laughs> um, Do we want to keep talking about stuff we watched or should we move into our hackathon?
1: I think we should, yeah, move into the hackathon and if we want to reference some other stuff.
0: Okay, so... Today's episode as noted from the title is primarily, I would say, about the film Hackers. Mm-hmm. Which I forget when Hackers came out, 94 or some shit. 95. 95, I was close. Um, <laughs> but the but the late 80s and the 90s were like really this like period in media where you've got a shitload especially of teen focused hacking films of various degrees of competency in regards to actually portraying hacking and we Mm -hmm. saw a little bit of kind of a reboot of that in in like the mid-2000s with Mr. Robot. Um, So we're going to talk about a bunch of different hacking related pieces of media mostly focusing around the 95 film hackers.
1: Yeah I loved this film when I first saw it. It wasn't 95 it was probably like 98 or 99 when I first saw it or whatever on television I think I saw
0: it on, like, TBS later yeah, to become Peachtree.
1: I think it's just, it's such a good movie when you're, like, late at night, you find a movie on TV, especially, like, when, just before flat screens and stuff were coming out. So you mm. you have your full, like, um, what was that called? CRT? Yeah. CRT kind of television. And it just, Jesus. like, looks like it's something you can kind of invest in these weird, geeky, cool characters. And for that reason, and the horny energy is out the, like it off the charts
0: way more aggressive than i realized like it's it's no, I, very erotic it. at point i well i mean fuck i watched that when i was a kid so i don't think i really like registered how sexual that movie is but there is a lot of pent-up sexual tension throughout that film
1: yeah i must watch it early 2000s because i definitely caught on the sexual tension stuff so i must yeah, have been like 13 14 did.
0: I, or maybe I just don't remember. Like maybe I just didn't remember it as well as I thought I did. But yeah. So so hackers. Um, since we're just starting here, hackers is it starts with Dade Murphy as an eleven year old boy. This exposition scene. Was oh my god! Do so you remember their names? <laughs> yeah, I do bitch. Dade Murphy, Kate Libby, serial freak. Oh my god! You. No,
1: I wish I could remember. <laughs>
0: We just watched this shit. We literally, just so everyone is aware, we watched this 30 minutes ago and he still doesn't remember. Anyway.
1: Well, especially for someone like Angelina Jolie. Like, I can never remember her character names. Like, she's just <sighs> Angelina Jolie to me.
0: Kate Libby, a.k.a. Acid Burn. <laughs> so anyway, it starts with him as an 11-year-old boy in 1988. He is in a courtroom and essentially he is being convicted of a felony, like, cyber crime thing, I don't know. I don't know yeah. what to call it. American American law confuses me. But he's being convicted of a cybercrime felony. Um and he's put on probation since he's only 11 where he is not able to use a computer or a landline, a touch tone telephone um for 7 years, which I think is hilarious going back to touch tone telephones many people don't remember. And then, you know, you see him approximately 7 years Later, he's almost at the end of his probationary period, he's in high school, and he's using a computer again, and he's, you know, up to his old tricks, he's hacking again. His mom moves them to New York City after uh, a divorce with his father, and he goes to a new high school and meets a bunch of new people, and apparently the hacking scene in New York is huge, so every person he meets at this fucking high school is, like, a competent hacker. So he just has this friend of like like this friend group of like seven people that are all just like great hackers for some reason. One of them is trying to hack a corporation and he copies part of what is called a garbage file or what is named a garbage file. um, And he's accidentally Mm -hmm. stumbling upon this big criminal plot. That's basically the movie in a nutshell.
1: I think the the actual plot of the criminal thing is, like, a mess, but it, it, it helps to keep structure to the movie. But it for me, it's all about the, you know, the aesthetics, the vibe, right? Yeah. And, like, you, they have these the craziest outfits, um, the crazy-looking hacking and whatnot. But the scenes that I remember when, from when I was a kid is just them, like, when they see that laptop and they're all like, oh, my God, this laptop is just... Like, this incredible piece of machinery, yeah. right? And then Angelina Jolie comes in with her boyfriend at the time. Uh, and they all, like, this is a terrible moment, but, like, they all, like, watch them, uh, watch her undressing and whatnot before they call her over. And she's like, They yeah, don't this even.
0: Is he just realizes who she is and that her hacking handle is the handle of, like, the person who was fucking with him while he was hacking the night before. So he yells it out. He's like, This is who it is. And then she realizes they're there. So they don't even actually like, hey, we're in the room. You should be like, we shouldn't be watching you. Once they're found.
1: Yeah, they are like, show us the computer and she's into it too. Um, But I I just remember seeing like their faces pouring over this computer. And there's just this weird specific kind of quote unquote cool that for me as like a 13 year old boy, like really worked. And I thought was just... Was awesome. But I also, you know, was in puberty or whatever and the horny energy in this is yeah. out, like just crazy. And I was into that at the time.
0: Yeah. They, and so they it's they just so fun them, for that stuff. They give them this very, like, anarchistic, fringe kind of society feel um, while mixing in the very, like, specific aesthetic of the 90s New York City club kids. So you get yes. a lot of, like trip pants and crop tops and fishnets and like holographic materials, teeny teeny little 90s glasses, like really outrageous hair, a lot of rollerblading, a lot of like psychedelic kind of imagery. So it it's, it's so very much a product of its time and not just because of the technology that you see in it. Because, of course, the technology is dated. It's floppy disks and landlines and dial-up internet and freaking and all of these things that are, like, very specific to, you know, late 80s to mid 90s but the aesthetic itself the music like this like house music very early EDM stuff the yep. hairstyles the outfits the roller skating and skateboarding like it's very New York City 90s club kids just slightly toned down for like a teenage experience so if you are like an older millennial especially I think you'll probably get a lot out of this just from watching it from like an MTV kids kind of perspective is that's the vibe. That's the whole vibe.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's just that thing when, you know, it's special as a movie, not because it's a good movie, but because it encapsulates this feeling in a way that no other movie did. For sure. And so that, or very few others, I don't know of any others. So I just really appreciate, um, what it did for that, and it it really affected me. But one character we have to talk about when we're talking about the aesthetics and whatnot is Matthew, oh my God.
0: Serial killer, Matthew Lillard's character. Oh, I will watch anything with Matthew Lillard in it at least once. His very specific style, like the man is chaotic energy in a tiny skinny body and I fucking (laughs) live for it. I love him so much. He is one of my favorite character actors. He chews scenery like no other. And he, like, he's so able to be his most ridiculous self in a million different ways. Like, he has this amazing genderqueer, as you mentioned, sort of, like, style and aesthetic and, and attitude to him in Hackers. But then you watch him in something like Scream, and he's got, like, this dude bro chaotic energy and then it melds into psychotic killer energy you watch him in scooby-doo and he's literally the epitome of stoner shaggy you watch him in good girls and he's exactly the kind of like middle-aged midlife crisis douchebag kind of chaotic energy like he just he can fit into so many boxes so well i fucking i love matthew lillard so much i love him so much
1: I loved, yeah, I love the aesthetic. I love their, the culture. And when it comes to hacking itself, it's funny because both of us are, have parts of our lives that are connected to computer science and watch stuff. And of course, the outrageousness of their oh hacks and whatnot. There's some parts that are real, but most of it is just total yeah. insanity. I,
0: I would, their aspects to it are real. And the aspects to it are like things like using a phone line to hack into... Mm-hmm. like a network that is that is real like pieces of technology are real but the way they portray physical hacking and the way they explain these types of malware is very like inaccurate so like you see a portion where they they're hitting a company with like viruses or malware and there're things like rabbits which aren't not real Like, uh, like a rabbit in this context in in like the film, and potentially they were called rabbits back in the day, I don't think they are now, they have different names, but is something that over replicates and uses up file space and then replicates into the next file and continues to overload each file until the system crashes, which is something that is very real, you could theoretically do that. But they show it with a physical representation on the screen of, like, a rabbit breeding and eating the data. And it's like, that's not, like, you you can't see a virus. You don't see it like that. It doesn't look like a little rabbit dancing across the screen. It doesn't look like a little Pac-Man eating your data. Like, that's not, (laughs) that's not what hacking is. And if you're, like... Messaging back and forth with another hacker on an encrypted server. It doesn't just take over your screen and have like little animations. Like that shit's not realistic. It's just a bunch of fucking coding. It's all. It's reasonably hacking is fairly boring to look at. (laughs) Yeah. Um. And I would say, in my in my opinion, and I think I think most people agree with this. The best representation of hacking on screen to date is Mr. Robot. It's mm-hmm. significantly more realistic. Of course, they overblow the stakes. But when you physically watch somebody hack in that show, it it is what hacking looks like. It's just a screen you type in code. That's all it is.
1: I think I'm still just stuck on this question of like, what, why? So one thing is that the movie isn't good. In many, many respects, no, is isn't good. fuck no. But it's, to me, still very charming, still has this encapsulating feeling. And I, what I would add to it is, if you're into what it's, you know, what it's serving, it gives that nice found family feeling. Where if you're yeah, into that crowd, that. right, it's about them all coming together. And they're just, they're freaks and geeks who come together and you feel their hack the nation. Hack, oh my God, why hack do I want to say that? Hack the planet. this this They'll defeat the great evil together. And I love actually in the line political leanings coming out yet again but it's like where they say it's like that sounds like they they read the manifesto yeah. in fb uh one of the agents and they're like that the sounds Service. like commie garbage or whatever and yeah. the guys i was like that no, sounds pretty cool
0: <laughs> yeah i love that too because i i mean i'm assuming this the dude in the passenger seat was supposed to be in his like mid-20s mm.
1: the
0: man like uh, i know so you, you love this, this weird Benjamin fucking character he he was so weird. He's like a, he's a tertiary character at best. You see him in like fucking four scenes. But this yeah. one Secret Service agent simultaneously looked like a fucking 12-year-old boy and a 45-year-old man. So I, I couldn't figure out his age, but I think he was supposed to be like early 20s. And then the other guy is, is clearly like in his 40s. And you have this 40-year-old dude saying, this sounds like gar- commie garbage. And then this early 20 guy saying, no, it sounds pretty cool. And I think that was like, a, a still true generational gap in the understanding of technological advancement, as well as the understanding of like socio political leanings between mm-hmm. the 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 gen- uh, the generations. So I think I think that still rings true, and the found family thing still fits. And I think there's a chaotic, you know, acid, crazy, psychedelic energy that's super fun and super weird. So you could really get on board with that. And the characters, for the most part, are like genuinely entertaining, although not all super well developed. Like you see Razor and Blade as like a secondary set of characters. They're super fun. They have a really like overblown aesthetic. Angelina Jolie, I I go through phases with her where I enjoy her a lot and sometimes I find her irritating, but in this she's like prima early like mid 90s angelina she's very like all attitude and intensity which is great for Mm -hmm. this movie she kind of offsets the ridiculousness of the other characters by taking herself like just a little bit too seriously and then if you've got freak super fun really outrageous fashion a lot of cheetah prints i love that for him and then johnny lee miller who's kind of your keystone character your protagonist your main guy who is kind of a bitch sometimes but he was fine. He was he was 90s yeah. hot too. So if you want to if you yeah. want to see what 90s hot was, check out Hackers cuz that's a prime example of 90s hot right there. It's not great in my opinion.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah.
0: You were loving him.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, the movie's just super charming. I w- you know, I have to admit that compared to my original viewing or whatever, you know, the charm is definitely Much lesser, especially seeing it on a bright full screen. You're just like, this is not meant to be fully analyzed.
0: (laughs) No, No, it is not. There was some like horrible ADR. Like, just like it of any movie I've seen, it's probably some of the worst ADR. ADR is basically typically not always, but typically it's done when a character has their back turned or is like sort of not quite facing the camera or is covered by other people, you can add in lines for that character. So you can go in after with your actor and have them voice whatever jokes or kind of closing lines to tie up a plot that didn't get tied up. And you can just put it into the scene because you can't see their mouth. Mm -hmm. They use ADR in this when you can very clearly see their mouths and their mouths are not fucking moving so there's a scene where Matthew Lillard is walking around in a party and they start this ADR loop where he's just like talking to random people to show he's like popular he knows people he's really he's like a cool dude and it starts out with him facing away from the camera so it's fine cause you can't see his mouth but then he turns to the side and you get a profile of him and his he's just got a gaping maw he's not <laughs> yeah. speaking he's like smiling with his tongue out and there's he's still talking. It's like, what the fuck? It's so bad. It's so cheap.
1: Yeah. I there's a YouTuber H. Bomber guy who actually did a either one video or two about in defense of VHS and like this idea of like the CRT dark screen like that experience. And this feels like a movie that's sort of wrapped up in that experience. Yeah. Um I think he was talking about it might have been Terminator two in particular, but how when you look at it with the color saturation and how it looks on a CRT on VHS, the special effects actually do look really, really good. But yeah. at the time when he was making this video, a new edition of it had just come out. So people were talking about it and how on HD, actually the special effects look really cheesy and bad. And yeah. this, you know, this movie, I'm pretty sure the special effects already look bad. I remember them looking bad. But yeah. seen in like sort of full screen here... Um, not necessarily HD, I don't think we were watching HD, but, like, even so, like, with, like, a full flat screen experience, it's so much more, Yeah. Gr- like, there's no mystery to it. You're like, oof, this is just it's a. Ugly. It's
0: aggressively bad. It's aggressively bad. There was also a lot more dream sequences than I remember. Yeah. it was a weird that choice. That was weird. There was, like, a, Some of you the, don't even like a hard five. There was like a hard at least five dream sequences throughout a movie that it that cannot be more than like ninety six minutes. So it's a it's a weird choice, just like plot wise, it's odd, but you know. Yeah. I it lends to the whole sort of like acid trip experience of this weird movie from the nineties though. So it kind of it kind of works, but it's it's awkward. Um So
1: I I know you've watched a lot more of the uh the other hacking movies mm, and whatnot. Yeah. So how does it how does it compare to some of these others or How would you contextualize it?
0: Um, I mean, there's a, there's a very specific funness to hackers that I feel like a lot of these other movies don't have. And I think one of the ones that, that gets close to the same kind of vibe would be, um, War Games, which is kind of like the original Mm -hmm. hacking movie, in my opinion. Um... Yeah, War Games came out in, like, 1983. It's got Matthew Broderick and Ali Sheedy, who are both staples of the John Hughes movies. Ferris Bueller, Breakfast um, yeah. Club. Um, it's... I would say it has sort of a similar vibe. It's not quite as psychedelic and intense. Um, but it has that sort of, like, team drama wrapped up in hacking kind of thing. And it's cool because it is 1983. It really is one of the first portrayals of hacking that you see in in a movie so you see things like freaking which is like hacking through a phone line essentially um and then like old school hacking they don't use a ton of animation so they tone that down a lot in comparison to hackers so it does feel a little bit more realistic in that sense but basically Matthew Broderick is hacking into a government agency like that's let's say that's the plot in a very tight nutshell one of the cool things I think about something like war games, in you know specifically, is that um, it's it's the first time in film that there is a mention of firewalls, which is. You know, by today's standards, one of the most common, you know, legacy technology security features um, Mm -hmm. and a firewall is basically just meant to block unauthorized access to your network while allowing outward communication in a very, like, simplistic way of, of wording it. Firewalls stop known attacks from penetrating your network. The reason it's considered a legacy technology now is that known attacks are constantly changing. You know, so it's it's difficult for a firewall to block something consistently because hackers, threat actors, whatever you want to call them, are changing the tools, the malware, the viruses that they're using to penetrate your network so rapidly that a firewall can't keep up. Right. And things that should be blacklisted are whitelisted because they're just different enough. Um, but in the '80s, firewalls were like the thing. They were brand new as far as security technology is concerned because. The internet was brand new. Like, mm-hmm. computers were brand new. So you didn't have these kinds of concerns until the early 80s, really. Where where it kind of deviates from hackers, in my opinion, is that there is sort of a real-world basis for the character, like Matthew Broderick's character. He's vaguely based on a real-world, like, teen hacker, I believe. Um, I feel like I put it in my notes. Yeah. So Scott Lewis is a real dude who was... You know, semi-pinched for computer hacking in like the late '70s, early '80s, um, as sort of like a teen. So the the writers for this movie, who eventually went on to write uh, Sneakers in 1992, another hacking movie, uh, spoke to Scott Lewis specifically about his experience and based a lot of things that oh. happen in the film on his experience and the Matthew Broderick character is based in part on Scott Lewis. So that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like overall I think war games is probably at least a little bit better of a film. It has sort of that Harrison Ford kind of government infiltration feel of like eighties films. Um, So you have that kind of like government thriller feel, but it's wrapped up in a teen movie. So you still get the teen romance and the teen drama. So it's very fun um plus you have the adorable matthew broderick who i
1: love yeah um i was trying to think of ones for myself i actually did watch uh searching recently like oh yeah so i just watched um searching i think that was again with my family weirdly searching but, is dope uh,
0: yeah and so, so it's a i think movie, though.
1: unfriended had it too but there's you know there's a little bit of not you know clicky clicky hacking but it's this idea that like if you can figure out the password of your son or daughter or like your Mm, friend or whatever how much you can actually access and interestingly in searching they had a really cool thing that makes sense and that you can easily do where they kept so he's like i can't get this password for this email he's like forgot password go to your previous email right so he kept going back until he hit something that he did know his daughter's email to or his Mm -hmm. daughter's password to and isn't that a dangerous thing that i think a lot of us don't update our chain or our or back passwords or make oh sure that God. our security questions um, make sense.
0: Because of my fucking job, I have to do that shit constantly. But yeah, I mean, that's basically like, I mean, that is still hacking. It's low grade hacking, but it is technically still yeah. hacking. And like the same thing in in hackers, I think what's really interesting is you you see this very early form of what I would call social engineering. Um, and it's in its earliest form, you have to physically socially right. engineer your way into buildings, watch people put their passwords in by pretending to be a delivery person, those kinds of things. But they are still aspects of what we call social engineering today, yeah, which is sure. when you know, you're, you're sending like a phishing email to try and socially engineer your way into getting um, privileged credentials onto somebody's network or a personal device. So and, and even to this day, social engineering is still one of the biggest risks to most companies because it it preys on the human factor of your organization's security, um, right. and nobody's perfect. Everybody slips up and fucks up. So it's while it's not easy to be a hacker, there are those specific tricks that like you can't. There is always going to be a backdoor into your security protocols because you can't get rid of people. You will always have to keep retraining your people to protect themselves from like social engineering attacks
1: yeah makes sense was there any other um movies i remember maybe oh god the there's net there's so or... many that i've
0: seen the net is i love the net but i love sandra bullock i wouldn't say the net mm-hmm. is good the ah, okay. net has a similar vibe to me as um the tom cruise film the firm which came out around the same time also um the firm doesn't actually have any hacking in it, but it just has that similar vibe. Everything has a weird, like, soap opera filter over it. It's sort Yikes. of a dramatic thriller. There's, like, sexy romance stuff. You know, the corporation is out to get her, that kind of shit. Um, but essentially, Sandra Bullock's character is, she's not really a security person. She's she's some kind of, like, computer analyst. Um, but she works freelance for multiple different companies, When you see her at the beginning of the film, she is beta testing a video game. It's actually Wolfenstein 3D, which I think is pretty cool. Oh, fun. But she is sent a file from another person, uh, and she just copies it onto a floppy disk, isn't paying attention. But this file ends up being um, some kind of evidence of corporate espionage, Uh, and it it turns into this whole sort of cat and mouse thing interlaid with hacking about, you know uh ending or like you know uh solving this corporate espionage problem and the people committing the espionage are trying to get their file back and have her killed so that she can't tell anybody so it's this whole cat and mouse game it's really fun That's it's cool. okay description of yeah hacking. it just doesn't
1: yeah um or just, i wouldn't say it's like a does forefront. it take off as a movie
0: what do you mean sorry
1: like is it, is it good as a movie
0: yeah, I would say it's fun. It's entertaining. It's yeah. really enjoyable. It has a very strong '90s feel. Like you can tell it's in the '90s. Very old, like really fat-backed computers, that kind of thing. Oh, geez, um, yeah. Yeah, but it's it's fun. Um, she's running, I think, on her computer. She's running Mac OS, um, and it was the first time I believe that they had shown the Mac OS Mac OS Seven oh. on screen. So, so like it had just recently been released. Yeah, yeah. Um, they were definitely sponsored by Apple um, because the computer that she's running on, I can't remember the name of it, but it is the latest computer from Mac and it had just come out like that year um, and mm-hmm. she's running the latest software. Uh, at the time, the Mac OS 7 software was running at a like higher frame rate than a refresh rate than PC software. So it was actually the fastest computer software on the market for like 95 or something whenever this movie came out. Yeah, ninety five, bam, killed it. Uh, oh, same, so it same was the it was, yeah, it was the it was the fastest computer software that you could run, and it was the computer software that most computer analysts were running at that time, most security professionals were running at that time, and most hackers were trying to at least get their hands on if they could afford it and could afford the machine that would run it. Um, so I think that's pretty cool as well. So you get sort of like an accurate for the time period technology. Yeah,
1: I'm actually not sure i have much else to say about the movie i just was interested in it from this sort of nostalgic point of view and i haven't watched much other hacker stuff yeah so you haven't sure watched you mr
0: like, robot which is like epic i still can't believe it we planned this hackers episode for a month and you didn't get any further than episode four in mr robot i just didn't enjoy the trail of hacking i don't understand how like rami malik's excellent in it he plays a very interesting character christian Slater's a fucking babe like how could you not love this weird ass like psychological trauma? I want to trauma? I want
1: to it just was so it, fucking good and i think having to rewatch it was also like painful because i was i rewatched all the episodes so i was already like exhausted i re-watched don't like rewatch all the episodes stuff.
0: four episodes Four fucking episodes. That's a lot. Um, it's just, I just think it's like, it's really, it's a very beautiful, like, specific kind of energy. There's like this really interesting, like, technological melancholia in that in that show that you don't really see in other mm. things. That sort of like burnout for the like sort of savant type person. Um, You see like a really interesting, accurate representation of a specific type of mental illness in that film or in that TV show as you go further along in it. Yeah. And it's, I would say it is a, like a relatively accurate portrayal of that kind of like psychotic breakdown. Um, You see interesting like self-medication coping mechanisms throughout it. And you just get really dynamic character arcs. You know, the, the like, changing of the characters throughout it, the way that they change feels very organic and true to who they are. Um, and the music in the background adds to that sense of, like, specific melancholy and nihilism that comes with, like, the tech, er- like, generation. Like, the millennial tech generation. I just yeah, can't believe I mean, you like it.
1: I know. it's It's definitely a very cool show. Everything about it seemed very good to me and it's i told you when i was going to rewatch it. i'm like it's one of those shows that i always regretted that i dropped like years ago when i first started watching it but for some reason it's just not one that uh, connects with me i still might uh, try to continue with it but i've got so much other shows that i'm actually enjoying (laughs) i'm enjoying lydia watching um but yeah it was super fun to get to check out hackers again because that honestly that movie did really impact me when i was Mm. Younger. It really... It had Herotic that found family feeling. That too. That very much too. <laughs> my, God, I don't know how many people relate to our experience of like these late night television stuff but like that was a big part especially as a gay kid that's a big part of my childhood because yeah. that's when I could like secretly watch like stuff that I was really well, into. I feel
0: like... A lot of people, at least in our age range, must relate to it because that was like when you first started having more than one TV in the house. That was when like there was a big adoption for like cable networks where you would get sort of those like weird movies and like semi erotic things showing on like standard cable that you wouldn't get on like a non cable package. So I I feel like plus you've got the advent of the Internet where you can like like we started downloading shit. Illegally and streaming shit illegally when we were, like, fucking 13. Like, so I feel like we mustn't be the only ones who have these kinds of, like, real strong nostalgia feelings for, like, things from the 90s. And these real, like, prevalent experiences with late night television specifically.
1: Um, are you good to outro?
0: Everyone should watch more Matthew Lillard stuff. Underrated actor.
1: Yeah. I actually do want to see more. That was a really cool... Oh my god! He was, he was definitely the star actor of it.
0: Yeah, he's a star actor in everything. Even Scooby-Doo. <laughs>
1: uh, if you want to follow us, you can find us on at FanLabsPod at Twitter. Otherwise, we hope to see you next time. Bye.
0: Bye.